Good morning, Arbor Church. It's a little more crowded this Sunday because the Seahawks don't play at one, I'm guessing. So I think they do play at one, is that correct? Yes, go Hawks. All right. Um, we'll hopefully get out, get out of here in time for you. We'll try not to keep you too long. I'll be done by 12.55, I think is what it is. If this is your... <laughs> you like that. Thank you, Garrett. Um, if this is your first Sunday here, welcome Uh, We're really grateful that you're here. Just sit back, enjoy yourself. Hopefully you've been welcomed. My name is Scott. Um, I'm one of the regular speakers here. For those of you, if you've been here for a while, you got the draw, the shorts and the straw today. I'm the one speaking today, so thanks for being here, and hopefully we'll entertain you enough. Correct there, Garrett? All right. We've been doing a series called Together. The theme here at Arbor is making disciples preferably together. We know that we're called to make disciples. The tricky part is learning to do that together, not as some rogue maverick on your own. So we've been looking at this series. The first week, Jake looked at together like Legos, where we are created to connect with one another and build something bigger than ourselves. Then we looked at together like family, and Jake was adamant that we're not like family, we really are family. And we have a good father, and we have siblings that support us. And in the family of Christ, we can all make disciples together. I like that we're doing the series, which I think we would all agree, and research is saying it as well, that while we live in the most connected time in world history, we are some of the most disconnected people in world history. It's kind of an oxymoron. And for us, in our day and age, people just don't see the church as a place they fit into anymore. So this is where I'm concluding the, season, the sermon series this week, coming from a different angle. For many of us, we just don't feel like a Lego. We have tried connecting and perhaps have been disregarded, set aside, or didn't quite fit in. Or maybe you feel like a faulty Lego because you got too close to the stove and got melted down, and now you just feel like a lumpy piece of plastic. Some of us really don't connect like the idea of together like family because of our own family experience. Some of us may not have had a good father or a loving mother or siblings that were supportive. They were anything but supportive. So the family connection is tough for us. So you feel distant maybe when you visit church and you encounter a room full of supposedly perfect people and these perfect happy families like Wally and Beaver Cleaver grew up with. This message today, I hope, is for those of us who feel we're outside the circle. Because maybe you, like me, believe you just don't quite fit in or have a place in the church or in Christ. Perhaps due to your past, your mistakes, your experiences, your hurt, your doubts, or whatever. Maybe you feel a bit broken yourself like a shattered piece of glass. Well, I'm here with you, because I felt that way myself many times. And I'm here to tell you that there is a place for you in this together that we're talking about. Let's pray. God, I do honestly pray, Lord, that first you just move me out of the way, that your words and your message would come forth today, God. I pray that you would give us ears that want to hear, hearts that want to listen, and feet that want to change the world. I thank you, God, for your truth, your scripture, and may it be the center point of what we talk about today. In your name, amen. Today we're going to use um, the analogy of together like a mosaic. Together 
like a mosaic. I think most of us know that a mosaic is a piece of art or image made from the piecing or assembling together of small pieces of colored glass, tile, stone, or other materials. And it's used for a you know, decorative sense or maybe even a functional sense at times like a tabletop. I've got some images here of some mosaics. The first one is a, just a general mosaic circle that maybe could be a tabletop or a centerpiece on a wall. Some mosaics represent a portrait of somebody. This is a portrait of a girl. I've seen some that are much more intricate and much more colorful. And some mosaics represent a famous piece of art, like Van Gogh's The Starry Night. I think that's the one you're looking at. Unless Garrett slipped one on in about a cat or something that I wasn't prepared for. But the, but the idea is that these many pieces come together, create something. I'll never forget when I was a kid at summer camp, we always had craft time. I hated craft time. I didn't want to do craft time. I'd rather be out in the woods building forts or chasing squirrels or doing other things that you probably weren't supposed to be doing in the woods at camp, but we did. But we were called in every day for 45 minutes of craft time to make some kind of fake leather wallet, to make some kind of balsam wood airplane that lasted for about one minute. And then one day we were called in to create a mosaic. And there was, we were given this framed piece of wood that we were going to put this adhesive on and put all these pieces in to create a mosaic. And then they began to pull out all these bottles, all these tiles, and then they handed us all hammers. Because what's a better idea than giving a bunch of nine-year-olds hammers and bottles and tiles to break? I kid you not. No safety glasses. This was back in the era that, you know, we didn't think of those things. So we went to smashing bottles and smashing tiles and shrapnels flying around everywhere. And, you know, we all like sparkly head because things were sticking out of us in different places. But in the end, we ended up with this giant trough full of broken materials. Then if that wasn't crazy, if they said, reach in and grab some pieces, kids. <laughs> See, that's my generation. We grew up on go-karts with no brakes, all right? Ramps made out of like rotten plywood. And if you crashed and got home with your arm intact and no blood anywhere, you had a successful day. So I built this mosaic and I tried to do this mountain scene of the mountains with the tree and the sun coming up over the mountains because I just thought that would be cool. And I couldn't quite get the pieces in there and the sun was the wrong color. It was like the color of a bad, a brown Bud Light bottle, which I never understood how that ended up at a church camp in the summer, but anyway. And the mountains were misshapen and the tree was looking weird and when it was done, there was glue coming out everywhere and the adhesive was like more on top than underneath and I brought it home and my parents couldn't really tell which way to hold it and they said, this is beautiful. And it ended up somewhere on the back porch sitting under a plant or something for years lost to humanity. And the great artist of Scott Hetherington came to an end that summer. But it was a mosaic, a bucket of broken pieces. Today, I hope to paint a picture for you of the image of the church being a mosaic, a visual representation of our creator, the great artist of the universe, that can take a diversity of pieces, each uniquely different in shape, color, and material, and bond them all together, create a masterpiece that awes the world. And folks, the church doesn't awe the world anymore. 
Only in his hands, Jesus Christ, can we bring all these pieces together into something so spectacular and representative of him that the world would want to be part of it. See, separate from that, separate from Christ, we are just pieces. But together, we become a visual of God's attributes, character, and calling in our lives to go and make disciples of all nations. See, a mosaic is not like a puzzle. My family loved puzzles. Man, we had a systemized approach to puzzles. Four corners, straight pieces here, put them together, others here, sort by color, look at the picture, go. Puzzle perfectionist in my family. But our church and our lives are not as tidy and straightforward as a jigsaw puzzle. We don't have a vibrant color image on a box to refer to and look at to know what the finished product is going to look like because the finished product isn't up to up, it's up to the artist and his rendering of what he wants it to look like. See, we have tried to create an image based on our perspectives, our experiences, our biases, our prejudices, and it's ruined the church. Our various elements were not custom cut in a factory for a perfect snug fit. And we don't have four easily distinguished corner pieces to frame and contain us. No, mosaic is more wild and random than that because we serve a wild God. But it's very purposeful and intentional in what he does. What we do have at the very center of our expanding and changing mosaic is Christ himself. His life, his ministry, and his example is expressed in the New Testament. So using this analogy of mosaic, I'd like to share with us our first insight about a mosaic. We know that most mosaics are made from broken pieces. And if they're not broken, our artist will intentionally break them for his service, for his goodwill, for what he deems to be the best fit. But more important, there is a bonding adhesive that is placed either on the surface or the back of the broken pieces to hold us together. And that bonding material, do not leave here today without knowing this, is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you're not using him as the bonding material to come together for a purpose in Christ, it's gonna fail. So our first point today is this. We are bonded in brokenness. We are bonded in brokenness. And more essentially, we are bonded in his brokenness. We read in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I want to read that again. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The essence of a mosaic is that it is made out of broken pieces, either broken intentionally or by accident. These pieces are gathered together and bonded by the artist to create the mosaic. See, we keep trying to go back to being these perfectly altered puzzle pieces. We keep trying to be Legos or threads. See, puzzle pieces are intentionally shaped to fit a predetermined image by man. Legos are machine and factory produced to build an image created by, I guess, a Lego engineer. Now, that would be kind of a cool job. And threads are produced to be woven together in a specific pattern to produce a tapestry, a rug. But see, mosaics, however, they're produced by broken, shattered pieces that were never intended to go together. You can't break a bottle into perfect pieces to go back together. We are not perfect people, yet we try to be daily. We create these expectations for ourselves, and I don't know if you're like this, but I am, all right? 
We try to experience life with no pain, no discomfort, no mistakes, no hurt, no bad decisions. And while we are called to live in holiness and sinless with, sinlessness with Christ, we are still in reality just sinners in broken bodies who can only be used for the true glory in the hands of God the Creator. When I was a kid, I'm the oldest of three boys. Then my little sister came along surprised 10 years later. But for many years, it was just me and my two brothers. And we lived in this farmhouse that on the main entrance of the farmhouse were two large rooms. And I say two, it was really one big room, but there was this like triple wide door between the two rooms that the doors had been taken off of. So it was just this beautifully framed, I don't know, opening between the two rooms. And we discovered one day while mom was gone that a Nerf hoop would fit right up on that perfect farm molding for Nerf basketball. She discovered we were doing this and she would tell us, I don't want you playing Nerf basketball in here because at the back of the wall, in the back of the room, was this beautiful shelf that contained all my mom's prized ceramic bells. She collected them for years, maybe some were antiques. And they sat up on that shelf. Well, one day mom was gone again and we got the Nerf hoop out and we got some serious basketball skills going on. We had Charles Barkley going, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone. And just about that time, I tried to do a step back, all right? Hornacek's three-point shot, if you know who that is, nice job. And I bumped the shelf. And I mean, I didn't just bump it. I guess I gave it a good shoulder shrug right there, and it started to fall. And in that moment, everything went slow motion. I saw my brothers like, no! And I felt like one of those cartoon characters that's trying to catch pieces with my hands and my toes and my feet and hoping that the carpet would like soften the blow, it didn't. Because they're falling on top of each other and we're hearing crack, shatter, crack, crack, bang. And all, all, I, could, all I could think, all I could imagine was, we're all dead. We are not gonna live to see dinner tonight. Mom's gonna come home and she's gonna just pack us all up in boxes and put us on the side of the road that says, for free. And we are gonna have to go live somewhere else. Because we, we had broken it. it. I mean, they were all, so we did what three boys would do. We picked them up and we went to find some sort of glue. And we're trying to glue these bells back together. And even if they weren't the right pieces, we were putting them on, they were doing our best. We'd sit it down, we'd move over and just kind of just melt apart again. We tried our best, but of course, mom got home. And she saw and my mom raising three boys was a tough cookie. And she could get that firm mom, mom voice. She could like bore a hole in the back of your head with her eyes and you knew she was staring at you from across the room. But she didn't do any of that. She looked at us and she walked into the room and cried. Yeah, that's terrible. That's the worst thing you can do. Crying, don't cry, mom, please don't cry. And then she said the next thing, she said, we'll do this when your dad gets home. So we went and packed our own boxes and wrote free on them and went out to the curb. So while we, all right, could not glue back together all these broken bells that had been collected over the years, we serve a God who can take broken pieces and bond them into something new and far more glorious. We, we did get some glue back together, but while they looked good from afar, they were far from good. And I think that's what we try to do with our lives. We try to glue our broken pieces back together. And from afar, we look pretty good. But then as people get up close, it's not 
as put together as we think it is. See, the church is like that oftentimes. It looks good from afar and people get in and find out we're just imperfect people. The point being is that the cracks and smudge glues on those bells told a story of three rowdy boys who broke a mother's shelf of beloved bells. But in the end, they discovered that she loved something far more than the beloved bells. And in the end, that story of broken bells is a staple in our family of how faithful and loving and just a mom we had. See, in our, it's our brokenness that bonds us together in Christ. Our struggles, our stories of shattered dreams, hurts, failures, and pain. One key thing all the pieces in a mosaic have in common, they've all been broken. Yet in God's hands, and only in Christ Jesus' hands, in God's hands, does he turn brokenness into beauty if we remain bonded to our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he is the bond that holds us all together because Jesus Christ was first broken for us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We are bonded in brokenness to Jesus Christ to begin building a mosaic that represents his vision for the church. I then think of the early church back in Acts. I think of this expanding mosaic of the early church and over a relatively short period of time, it grew so rapid, they, they, probably, didn't even, they probably didn't even recognize themselves after a few months or a year. You had this consistent grouping of men and women who would actually walk with Jesus, rising to leadership, and you had this clash and crisis of cultures coming together. And there's an undeniable resemblance of what aborted Jesus. And so I wonder how have we gotten so far away from that? That brings us to my second point is designed for diversity. See, that first church was a confluence of races and cultures and ethnicities. Just like us, the early church had the daunting task of maintaining unity as various cultures came together to learn together. We read in Acts 15, 7 through 11, Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, is that great? God, who knows the heart. I love that. Showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. We believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Some quick history. When you see the word Gentiles in the scripture, that can seem a bit odd to you if you haven't been in the Bible very much. See, the Jewish nation was set aside in the Old Testament by God in this covenant he made with the Jewish nation, starting with Abraham. And they became this nation through which Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would come to earth. But in the Jewish mindset, in their interpretation of the message from God, it was the Jewish nation would be the select nation to reap the benefits of the Messiah, to reap the benefits of his coming to restore the kingdom, to receive the benefits of his grace and mercy. But when Jesus finally did come in a manger, the son of a carpenter, that was the first shattering of anything the culture of the Jews thought would be the Messiah. And then he went around interacting with sinners and Gentiles, and Gentiles are anybody that are outside the nation of Israel and the Jews. Anybody that was outside the Jewish nation was called Gentiles. And in the New Testament, Jesus came and said, I'm here for all of you. 
all nation, all creed, all color, all culture. And that was counterintuitive to anything the Jewish people had ever experienced. They were used to their homogeneous group. And Jesus said differently. See, it says in here that we do not discriminate. There's no room for discrimination, prejudice, or racism in the family of Christ. The great artist sees each piece as a part of the mosaic that resembles himself, his attributes, his character, and essence. Sadly, the history of the church is riddled with segregation, prejudice, and racism. For far too long, Christians either actively supported or promoted slavery, racism, and segregation. Or they were complacent in their silence. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German pastor who battled the Nazis, said, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. said, in the end we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Far too long and still today, Sundays remain the most segregated day of the week in our country. And for the church and God, this is a travesty. You cannot have a mosaic without the diversity of color, patterns, and pieces. All you have then is a plain tile. You need the multiculturalism. You need the racial equity. You need the diversity to be the diverse church that we are called to be. I use an analogy with my friend Joey and I used to use this back when people used to do this. Maybe you did in your family. Do you all hang pictures on your refrigerator with magnets? Yeah. Yeah. Christmas cards, birthday things, you know, graduation announcements, family snapshots. Back when you actually had to go print pictures, I just dated myself there. Me and Garrett, we probably the only ones that remember that. And you'd put them on your refrigerator. Well, I guess in today, you could just pull your phone out and swipe. And me and Joey, when we used to lead racial equity work with youth groups and stuff, we'd say, when you look at all the pictures on your refrigerator, do they all look like you? Eat the same things as you? Go to the same church as you? Vote the same way? Look the same way? We could say the same thing if we swipe through our phone. See, the problem is we've become this homogeneous representation of the church that it was never meant to be. This is no more relevant than in the story of the, good, of the story of the woman at the well or Jesus and the Samaritan, whichever way you called it in Sunday school. And we find it in John chapter 4. I'm just going to read you the beginning of the story, and there's many sermons preached on this, but we're just going to look at a couple key aspects. Now, Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tried as, he was, tire, as tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. All those parentheses statements are in the scripture. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. 
there's two main things I want to pull out of this short introductory passage to the story. One in verse four said Jesus had to go through Samaria. In truth, Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. In fact, in that day and age, Jews did not go through Samaria. There was a racial, political, social divide between Samaritans and Jews and went all the way back to their captivity in Babylon. When the Jews that were taken over to Babylon, all right, and those who were left behind, who became the Samaritans, and there was this racial, political, social divide. They had nothing to do with each other. In fact, Jews that had to travel north would go out and around Samaria, adding extra time, extra distance, and extra cost to their trips. So Jesus did not have to go through Samaria, technically speaking. But I'm telling you, he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria because quite simply, he had 12 prejudiced, biased possibly racist disciples that he was leading. Maybe not by their own doing. Maybe in the culture in which they grew that they were not associating with Samaria or Samaritans. But Jesus knew something even more profound. He also knew that he had come to earth for all people, all races, all nations, all cultures. And so spiritually, he had to take his disciples into the arena to face their own bias and prejudice they may not even know they had. And that when he said all people, I mean, yes, even these people. We read in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. That's Jesus telling his disciples the great commission before he left earth. See, Jesus knew that when he was gone, that the great commission to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth would probably stop in Jerusalem and Judea because we are creatures of comfort. We navigate to what we know. We set up house with what's familiar and we build churches with what's common to us. But the problem is we're missing out the essence of this passage and that is the gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. See, Jesus needed his disciples to know, and for us to know as a church, that his purpose on earth, his death, resurrection, and salvation was not an exclusive membership, only for at that time, the Jewish nation. Or for our day, only for Presbyterians, Baptists, white, black, brown. Whatever nation, whatever nationality, whatever segregated group you want to put on it. In his letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul states about the gift of God. Romans 3, 22 through 24. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that God, that came by Christ Jesus. See, in a mosaic, there are no pieces that are more significant than others. There's no preference from the artist over one or the other. The artist holds no bias or prejudice to one piece. All the artist is focused on is selecting the pieces to fit and complete the mosaic as he envisions it to be created. All the pieces will be used. All the pieces are valued. All the pieces play a role in reflecting who the artist truly is and lost to a dying world. For far too long, the church has been a refuge of homogeneous people who all look the same, 
vote the same, shop the same places, talk the same, dress the same, and maybe look the same. This is not God's intention for this mosaic. This is not God's definition of together. We must find an authentic way to connect with the diversity of our world and make sure our church doesn't appear shut to different racial groups, different nationalities, different ethnicities. I know you might get tired of me telling school stories as a principal, but I can't help it. It's the life I live 50, 60 hours a week. Um, We, every year, me and my assistant principal go around and we read a book to every classroom in the school to set the theme for the year. Last year, we read the book, Let's Talk About Race. Because in Bellevue, Bellevue, we've been doing a lot of intentional work and learning around racial equity and the racial equity gaps within the education system and what we as leaders and teachers can do to address that. It's been a lot of work in my school for three years now. We've made a lot of progress. So when we read this book, Let's Talk About Race, it was pushing the edge out there with some of our teachers and students to experience that and be open to talk about their identity. And the whole theme of the book was that you have an identity. And part of your identity is this racial makeup of who you are, the color of your skin, your hair, your cultural experiences, your ethnicity, your background. And you may think, well, we all live in that. But for a lot of kids, they felt refrained from talking about that at school. And so when we read this book and we created this project where every kid got a little silhouette of a head and we told them, decorate it however you want and put on there whatever represents you favorite sport, your culture, what country you're from, your language, something about your family. And I can't express to you some of the nervousness that we create in our kids. Kids that would come up and say, can can I write on there that I'm black? Yes. Can, Can I write on there that I'm from Mexico? Well, yeah. Can I color my face brown or yes. And what that told me this church is this, that we live in a world that promotes diversity, promotes equity. But the church is not on the forefront of it and we need to begin doing that because it's not, the message isn't getting out there. And I don't have all the answers of how we do that, but I believe it starts with the heart and an awareness of, are we making any efforts? See, he desired, God desires diversity of color and diversity of thought, all right, and these multiple racial perspectives because we were designed through our own actions and his be beautiful to become a mosaic that he wants us to be, not what we think it should look like. So not only are we bonded in brokenness, we're, devi- we're designed for diversity because out with, without diversity in the mosaic, there's nothing profound about it. Brings us to our last point. It's an oxymoron and it's unity in uniqueness. Unity in uniqueness. I, they don't sound like they go together. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 14 and 27, read this from the Apostle Paul. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. What's amazing about this passage is that it was written to the Corinthians that would be considered by the Jewish nation at the time, Gentiles, and he's telling them, you are part of this body. That had never been the message before. 
I know it's an odd analogy that he's talking about the parts of the body coming together and working together. It reminded me of a conversation I just had in a lunch bunch. We were asking, I was asking my second grade group of lunch bunch boys, what would, if you could be anything in the world, what would you be? Oh, like a football player, or I'd be a, you know, an astronaut, or I'd be a, you know, I'd be SpongeBob SquarePants. Some kids goes, I'd be a big finger. <laughs> Don't ask me to give any reason why that's in his head thinking that, because I cannot do that. If I could get inside the head of a second grade boy, I'd be a millionaire. But he wanted to be a big finger. I'm like, why do you want to be a big finger? He goes, because then I could poke people and they'd fall right over. <laughs> okay. That's great. And then some kid goes, what if I was a big nose? And you, and you know where the conversation went from there. <laughs> so don't think that I'm doing all this amazing, you know, life-changing work at elementary school. It turns in eventually with boys in second grade to burgers and farts and burps eventually. So... What does that have to do with anything I'm talking about here? Nothing. It just felt a little tense in here. We needed some levity. I hope you know where my heart is today. We are called to be a mosaic. When Paul, when Paul speaks about the gifts of the Spirit and the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians, it is a representation of the uniqueness of each and every believer in Christ. While there may be similarities in our gifting, talents, skills, abilities, backgrounds, cultures, and more, we are all uniquely shaped and created by God, the great artist. And in this uniqueness that we should celebrate Christ. See, in our current culture, though, we have migrated to being so unique that we often refuse to be part of any group identity, especially the church. I believe that people today have come to view the church as a sterile, monochrome, ununique spiritual experience. That Christianity, sadly, is anything but unique to most people. It has become uniform in its appearance, predictable in its politics, stale in its social activism, hollow in its pursuit of holiness, and empty in its efforts to serve the orphans and the widows. The problem is that we have become so determined to be unique in our own likeness that we've forgotten the beauty of the uniqueness in Christ. It is only in Christ that we are unique. Outside of Christ, we're not unique. We're average. We're normal. It is only in Christ that we are unique because he created uniques because he is unique. It is his story that has been copied, borrowed, and rewritten by mankind for years to entertain, challenge, heal, and inspire through story, film, and speaking. If anybody were to get any credit at the end of any movie, it would be this concept of God to a lost world. Yes, we are all truly unique, but that is not what neat, unique in and of itself. Left to ourselves in our own hands, Uniqueness has led to isolation, disconnection, and loneliness. Left in our own hands, our concept of unity has led to exclusion, prejudices, and extremes. I don't think I need to go there today. You can turn the TV on and see that. People shouting at each other from these distant spaces with their own unique view, and unity's been lost should not be that way in the church, my friends. Yet with God, in the hands of the perfect artist, Christ Jesus, there is unity in uniqueness. It is only in Christ that each unique piece can be unified and bonded to a larger work of art to represent something bigger 
than just ourselves. That something is the church. An earthly representation of God and his attributes, his characters and his actions. But sadly, we don't feel like we're bonded in brokenness. We don't have the desire to be designed with the diversity. And we're trying to do uniqueness and unity on our own outside of Christ. See, it comes down to the basic needs of all humans that I've learned over the years. I haven't learned these. They've been taught to me. But every human has them. The need for love. Simply to love and be loved. The need to belong. To be a part of something. The need to feel worthwhile. To have a purpose. At my school... Our philosophy is that relationships are the most impactful needs of attaining student success. Our three things we work on are rigor, relevance, and relationship. What's relationship have to do with a mosaic? Because when the artist is working on mosaic, he's made a connection and relationship with the bonding agent, the pieces, he's got a vision, and he's working on this. And he comes back to it the next day, and again and again at the end of it, it's not a puzzle, it's a creation of his vision of what he wants the world to see. And it's only in relationship with God can we understand what that image is supposed to be, and it's a mosaic of all of us. We are a part of a grand mosaic in the hands of the great artist, Jesus Christ. He knows you. He sees you. He has a place for you in this mosaic. He wants you to be a part of his together. In fact, he wants you to be together like a mosaic so much that he may just break you into pieces to make you be unified in him. We are bonded in brokenness because of Jesus Christ, because of his brokenness, his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the only bond that can hold a multitude of diverse people, unique individuals, broken pieces together in unity. So what we have, a mosaic representing his love and his holiness to a lost world. My hope, Arbor, is that we can become a church that is like a mosaic where whatever peace walks through the doors finds a home here in Christ and helps project his image to a needy world. Let's pray.